Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Offside Rule We Get It podcast. Hello, girlies. Hello, Lindsay. This is Hayley. Hello, greetings. Greetings from Cape Borsay. And I'm Lindsay Hooper. Um, we're here for another little football chat. Got three topics to get through as usual. Uh, we'll start, though, by quickly saying about how great our website has been doing. How about this? Cape Borsay will break the news. Breaking news. I need jam. <laughs> Don't I? Jam White. Um, website's doing really well. You must go and have a look, folks, if you've not already. OffsideRulePodcast.com. Thousands of hits a day. We've got some really, really talented writers on there now, and I will plug and push them as much as I can via my own Twitter account. But do pop on and have a look. There's up to four or five new pieces of stuff going up there a day and some really good things. The highlight of this week so far, particularly because I'm a Liverpool fan, has been how to cope if you're a Manchester United fan and Liverpool win the league. Did you read this, Hayley? I got halfway and then I just I just started to sort of whimper and feel really upset about the fact I was reading something which is actually going to happen, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, well, yes, please do go to offsiderulepodcast.com. Check that out. I, I think at the end of last week, we had sort of over 3,000 new visits to the website in one day, which was brilliant. So thank you very much for all your support there. Uh, we've also got a competition running on Twitter Topic of the Week this week. So go to at offsiderulepod for more details. That's going to run after this podcast has gone out too. Um, we'll bring you more on that a little bit later. But in terms of topics, uh, a few things that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about waste in football, things going to waste. That will be topic three. So a couple of examples of peculiar or maybe laughable things that you think go to waste in football. Um, Topic number two, we're going to talk about Leicester City getting promoted to the Premier League. Well done, the Foxes. Um, And for an East Midlands team to be back in the top flight, it's going to be good for them. Um, And there could be another East Midlands team going up with them, who knows, through the playoffs and things. Um, well, we will start this week. Uh, we'll move on to Leicester City getting promoted in just a moment, but we're going to start with Liverpool. Sorry, Hayley. Yeah, see, I'll do it again. Uh, continuing to fly high in the Premier League. They beat West Ham 2-1, meaning now five games to go. If they win all of them, then Kate will say you will be lifting that title. But we're not going to concentrate on Liverpool winning the title just yet. What we are going to concentrate on is something else they've been famous for this season, which is goal celebrations. We all know that Daniel Sturridge has got a great little goal celebration. By the way, if you've not seen Cop Kids, it's a show that goes out on Liverpool TV. Um, Sturridge does his brilliant dance manoeuvre in front of some kids in a class. You've seen this? I have. It's very, very funny. You can get it online, actually. I think it's on YouTube already off LFC TV. Yeah, the kid's so cute as well, isn't he? And he doesn't know he's there and he's just like, wow, look who it is. <laughs> um, I love when he tried to recreate the goal celebration as well and uh, Sturridge gives him, like, you got to do a bit better than that. Um, anyway, it was great. So it made us think of goal celebrations because Gerard as well kissing the camera, another big Liverpool celebration from this season. So it doesn't have to be Liverpool, by the way. It can be any goal celebration at all that has taken your eye, something really good. I'm going to start, as we always do, with Hayley McQueen. Mine are actually celebrations that end in injury. There have been so many. There really have. We just want to say, Stevie G, be very, very careful. If you're going to celebrate ahead of the World Cup, just carry on kissing the camera. Don't do a backflip and give yourself the kiss of death because it just wouldn't be very good. You've got the famous Ibrahimovic. He loves scoring. He loves watching himself back. He loves watching himself, of course, celebrate his scoring. He does a very simple arm celebration where he points up to the sky and he's like, yes, God, you created me. 
and I am here doing what you created me to do just best. But he injured his elbow in a very simple goal celebration. Elbow injury, OK? There's Ravinelli with the shirt pulling over the head. You're never going to get injured by that, but that is brilliant. One of my favourite kind of celebrations. Bloke revealing a torso. Yes, girls. <laughs> He could run into something, though, couldn't he? He could run into the hoarding, not being able to... Because back in those days, it wasn't all about the air, technology, breathable shirts. They would have been thick, starchy numbers, wouldn't they? Also, you talk about revealing the torso. That doesn't happen anymore because they've always got vests underneath and I'm always a little bit disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, here he goes. Whoa, boo. Put it back on. If Rooney does it, you know, put it back on. Yeah, what about... uh, Facundo Sava. Every time he scored a goal, he'd pull on a mask of Zorro. He, he did actually do this and a goal was ruled offside and he was made to look very <laughs> stupid and just tucked it back in his pants, which is where it had been for most of the game. I was going to say that the most inconvenient thing about that is that he kept this mask in his pants for the whole game and it's like, you'd be paranoid, wouldn't you, that it was going to slip down and through the old, uh, the old <laughs> short leg. <laughs> Oh dear, but yeah, it was actually back in 2002. He he was playing at Fulham. He scored an equaliser in an unlikely last-minute comeback from 2-0 down. I remember it was against Middlesbrough. It was at the Riverside Stadium. I was there. He got a second goal for the club against Charlton uh, in 2002. And he... uh, did his party piece, pulling on a mask of Zorro. This was from his sock to start with. Pulled it out of his sock from underneath his shin pads. And he said, actually, the only reason he didn't do it against Borough, which is where he got his first goal, is because he left his collection of 250 masks back in Argentina. Yeah. Why did he have 250 masks? Masks. Masks. Masks, of course. I have no idea. I think we have to question what he used to do in his spare time to need all these masks. Do you think he was a little bit... Eyes wide shut. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit weird. But anyway, yeah, we like the goal celebrations with the player lifting shirts over the head. And I think it was pretty much the white feather at Middlesbrough, all these Middlesbrough links who um, pretty much started that one off by just covering that lovely sort of silvery white hair and revealing this big manly torso as he celebrated, which back then was often now he'd be hard pushed to even get a shirt on, let alone lift it over (laughs) his head because they're useless. Kate, your favourite celebrations? One that I have to mention quickly was Samueletto's reaction to Mourinho effectively calling him old when he did the old, oh, I can't quite stand up against the corner flag business after (laughs) after he'd scored. I thought that was just a lovely, classy way to kind of deal with all that. Um, Hull City, there's that famous moment, isn't there, when they were 4-0 down before half-time against Manchester City uh, back in December 2008. Phil Brown uh, stopped his players from going back into the dressing room at half-time and instead gave them a bit of a rollicking on the pitch. Finger-wagging. Yes, he, he did plenty of finger-wagging, Lindsay Hooper, he certainly did. Well, the following season, at the same venue, Jimmy Bullard decided to get his own back and he equalised. And with Phil Brown sat in the dugout, um, Bullard decided to recreate the Phil Brown finger-wagging moment. And there's great shots of him, actually. I haven't been able to find it on YouTube, but just from remembering it, there's great shots of him just bending down, doing the old wagging finger. And I thought <laughs> that's a brilliant way to kind of uh, celebrate one of, those, um, one of those Phil Brown moments, should we say. Um, I couldn't get through another podcast without mentioning chickens. Sorry. Sorry, I know. I know. What is it about chickens? Can you just opt for some other poultry or maybe like a red meat? (laughs) It's like we said the other week, you are clucking mad. That's what the problem is. Well, I think it's Easter, isn't it? It's clearly Easter's getting to me. Um, Kevin Nolan's famous chicken dance, of course. Um, he's been doing it for years, hasn't he? I think he started it when he was at Newcastle, still does it um, at, at West Ham. And there's, there's a brilliant moment when um, 
Uh, West Ham were beaten 3-0 by Sunderland last year, January time, I think it was. Um, and all the Sunderland fans started taking the mickey out of Kevin Nolan for it, mm. singing, his chicken is dead, his chicken is dead, Kevin Nolan, his chicken is dead. <laughs> and he said after the game, look, rest assured, my chicken isn't dead. We've not had a good run of form, but the chicken is alive and kicking. And um, true to his word, he's still doing the chicken now. In fact, he did a particularly good exhibit of the chicken dance after he scored a brace against Swansea a couple of months ago, back in February. Apparently, the dance is called a quack. And it all originated from the fact that every year him and his mates um, go away and uh, one of them has to nominate a dance for him. So back when he was at Newcastle, one of them obviously nominated this chicken dance to him and it's obviously stuck since. So, yeah, Kevin Nolan and the chicken dance. Is it funny how you got kind of got these celebrations that are now synonymous with certain players so you just expect even though they're not really very cool it's the ones where you've rehearsed them beforehand I actually quite like I know there's something about oh god it's really naff they've spent an afternoon practicing something it certainly annoys me when it's an English player because they should be spending that time practicing penalties not practicing (laughs) celebration Uh, Well, I'm going to go for the exotic, acrobatic-style celebration because those are the ones that impress me. And when I was little, I remember watching this player and thinking, wow, I say little, I probably wasn't so little, maybe teenager. Uh, Loire Loire, um, doing the Catherine wheel. He made it famous, didn't he? Um, And so he'd do lots and lots of backflips, many in a row. Did you just say a Catherine wheel? Because if Loire Loire did a Catherine wheel, I'd be mightily impressed. (laughs) Fireworks just (laughs) squirting out of his ankles and his bum cheeks yeah I'm sure um well many times he did this I think it's known as the Catherine wheel to be quite honest um, no I think it's known as the Catherine wheel because he does numerous ones it's called a it's just a cartwheel (laughs) I'm gonna argue with you that it's the Catherine wheel I don't know what your gym classes were like in Wolverhampton but ours did not involve a Catherine wheel I can assure you more exciting than mine that's for sure (laughs) well whatever it's called Catherine wheel cartwheels glow Does he also do the rocket? (laughs) (laughs) No, he doesn't. He doesn't do the rocket. Although he does do the throwing up. (laughs) After doing too many cartwheels um, in a row, backflips, at St James's Park, he he actually threw up afterwards. Um, But he's caused himself injuries doing this. But it is an impressive celebration. But if I was his manager, I would say I'd ban it. I'd say no way, because you can get injured doing that. Fergie did actually ban Nani from doing it. When he came, he yeah, thought, oh, I'm going to be the next Ronaldo. And he did his somersaults. And he, instead of celebrating afterwards and saying, well done, son, you've scored a goal, great celebration, he didn't even congratulate him on his goal. He just gave him an absolute Ooh. rollicking and a hairdryer treatment for basically doing it and, and said, don't ever do it again, son. Um, my other one is a very recent goal celebration. If you've been reading newspapers or been online at all recently, you might have spotted this one. And it was Skittles, the Skittle effect. I'm not talking about the advert where everything you touch turns to Skittles, by the way. Um, I'm talking about a Japanese midfielder who scores a goal, retrieves the ball from the back of the net, and then bowls the ball from the throw-in sideline area towards a group of players who all pretend to fall over like temping bowling skittles a strike it is really good because again you know they've practiced it but it does work it's like synchronized football it's really really cool to watch but then you do kind of worry that if that rubs off teams as you say will be spending far too much time trying to work out goal celebrations instead of actually trying to figure out 
about how to score the goals in the first place. And it was a player called Kalju, who, and it was in the Tallinn derby, if anybody wants oh. to find that. But we'll also put a link up, shall we? Big one. Big, big one, yeah. <laughs> one thing that did alarm me when I went onto YouTube and I was looking at all best goals and they, you know, you put top 10 and it's like top 10 ever goal celebrations. And I was spending far too much time watching these. And uh, some of them were very, very quick. It's hard to even tell because it's just the celebration, then on to the next one. But what I did realise was a lot of my dance moves, Kate will say, (laughs) that I pull out on these parties um, are in there. Even the one, you know, where I pull my leg up and go round in the... Yeah, you know that one, the turtle on the floor, that was in there. (laughs) Hi, I'm Matt Letitiae, and you're listening to The Offside Rule, three girls talking about football. Uh, we'll move on to topic number two then, if no one wants to go uh, mad about my dancing. Um, and we're talking Leicester City getting promoted. So first and foremost, we should say a big congratulations to the Foxes. And uh, what a relief for them. They know that they've got Premier League football. They can now concentrate on becoming champions. With that in mind, I've asked you to revolve this topic around Leicester City, your favourite memories, standout memories from them, uh, maybe a couple of stories to do with Leicester City that we wouldn't otherwise know. Um, so we'll start with Hayley once more. Mine is a player who has just one of the best names to ever grace British football. Turkish player Muzzy Izzet. Middlesbrough desperately tried to sign him season after season after season. There's a bit of a tedious link in here. Um, I just have to add, is that? Is that? Is it? Yes. Um, He ended up going and playing for Birmingham City um, after leaving Leicester, but he had a great time there. He was very, very loyal. So loyal. I quite like it when you have these foreign players who, once they finish the playing career, don't just skedaddle back off to their countries or go to the MLS and live a life in America. But he actually is back at Leicester City. He loved it that much. He was... You know, had many clubs, West Brom, Middlesbrough, trying to snap him up, Birmingham City, who he did go and play for after they were relegated and, and couldn't afford to, to keep him at the club anymore. But he's returned actually to Leicester with fellow uh, Leicester uh, old boy as well, Steve Walsh, uh, and he set up an advanced football development uh, academy. So it's for the 16 to, to 18, 19-year-olds uh, developing and nurturing their skills. So he loves it that much. He has actually gone back uh, to the club and done that. He made 260 appearances. He scored just a 37 goals, uh, but still very important goals uh, that he scored when he was there. I just think it's really cool that you have a player who doesn't, you know, just play for the team because of the money. And he did experience quite a bit of success there. He had that really great partnership as well in midfield with Neil Lennon, uh, which proved really vital for them. 98-99, yeah, they came 10th in the league, uh, but they reached the League Cup final again. They actually lost to Tottenham, but Middlesbrough obviously saw such talent in this player and I'd have loved to have had a shirt with is it written on the back because he was just very very cool is it really happening no it never did right well we'll come back for your other one in a moment um Kate what have you got you know I'm a fan of goalkeepers and I find goalkeeping and goalkeepers really interesting I think that they have a completely different mental setup to most players and I've gone for what well, in fact it was a tough choice because Leicester have um in their time had two of England's greatest goalkeepers in their setup, that being Peter Shilton and Gordon Banks. I've gone for Gordon Banks because I had to go for the man who saved... Well, he probably made one of the best saves of all time, saving Pele's shot in uh, the 1970 World Cup. But he was a huge part um, of Leicester. Um, I think Shilton was perhaps a bit more showbiz with his kind of dramatic saves and maybe pulling off the odd 
match winner or two. But for me, Gordon Banks was technically a better keeper, perfect positioning. And you could argue, I guess, that he was never really stretched. You know, he never really had to make those amazing saves because he was always there and they were very much just par for the course. So I've gone for a bit of Leicester's playing history, Gordon Banks. I will start with, um, I think I'll start with the fact that Leicester almost signed Johan Cruyff. Did you know that? No. Did you know that? No. Um, This was back in 1981. It was towards the end of Cruyff's playing career, to be honest. I think he was 33 at the time. But um, he almost signed for Leicester City. This really did nearly happen. (laughs) Um, At the time, Leicester City were bottom of the table. They'd had an FA Cup defeat to Exeter. So it wasn't the most alluring of clubs, but Cruyff wanted to come to Europe and apparently quite like the East Midlands. Who knew that? Wow. He probably just, he knew that it was going to become the Walker Stadium and I can imagine he's a big fan of crisps. Yeah. Yeah, he liked his crisps. Or he liked Gary Lineker, one or the other. Oh, probably crisps. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, at that time, um, Levante also went in with a bid. Now, it was close call, but Wallace, who was managing at the time, um, decided to go quite public with the fact that Cruyff was interested. And I think Uh-oh. that pretty much backfired. Um, and in the end, he did go to Levante Um I think part of that reason was because Barcelona was nearby. He wanted to get back playing for the national side. Uh, was it a good or a bad move? Would have the Leicester City faithfuls have liked watching Cruyff? I'm sure they would have done. But to Cruyff, to give him his due, he probably did make the right decision because at the end of that season, they finished 21st oh. and they were relegated to the second division. But had you played for them, they might not have been relegated. The whole history could have turned around for Leicester City. There was another little fact that I wanted to say about this season for Leicester as well, that in February, they were the third best team in Europe. So if you took all the stats from across every single league, there was only Celtic and Bayern Munich that had been on a better run in football. That was back in February. I mean, Liverpool on a good run at the moment, so they might catch up in terms of recent weeks, but certainly a month or two ago, they were uh, the third best team in Europe overall. Um, Got another story for you to come but I think we'll get Haley's next one first. Mine is just I wondered why they were called the Foxes. I kind of looked into it thinking I can't think of any reason why Leicester City would be nicknamed the Foxes. A lot of them it's kind of very obvious. West Ham, Hammers um, I don't know you've got Scunthorpe United, Iron it, local links to the iron industry or well, hunting traditional of course pretty much up and down the country but much so in the Midlands but it's actually because the outline of Leicestershire on a map resembles a fox's head and when I had a look at it it genuinely really does also the name came from the fact that the original name was Leicester Foss that's F-O-S-S-E the Fosses uh, derived from the Foss Way which was a a, a... which which runs right by where I grew up well the name actually still in use by some commentators the Foss Way uh, but obviously we know it's now the Walker State but yeah, the fox, foxes, the fox's head, that's where that comes from. Um, Kate, do you want to butt in with yours? Well, I went for a, a bit of a, a, a manager pick here if I'm picking out really good things about Leicester. A manager that I've still got a huge amount of respect for and we have to see where his career goes after his current position um, looking after Ireland. But Martin O'Neill's the man I'm going to mention because of what he achieved at Leicester. He, he goes down as really probably the most successful Leicester manager of all time and was there for five years at the club, won the club promotion, um, four top ten Premier League finishes, two League Cup triumphs. He got them to another uh, League Cup final as well and um, European football obviously um, bought into that club too because of him. Goes to show what the Leicester fans thought of him actually when O'Neill was linked with the 
uh, when O'Neill was linked with the Leeds job back in 98. And George Graham, who just left Leeds for Spurs, visited Filbert Street, as it was back in those days, pre uh, the Walkers Association. Um, and um, he bought his new Spurs team there, basically. And the Leicester Mercury printed up loads of posters with Don't Go Martin on them. And they uh, released thousands of balloons as well to persuade O'Neill to stay, which he obviously did. Which was as good a campaign as Free Deirdre Rashid on Coronation Street. <laughs> well, as we were looking over things that have happened in their history and things that stand out, I am going to pick out a result that Leicester City fans won't thank me for, but I think it's far enough back in time that we can just make fun of it now and it's a, a good laugh. It happened in 1909, so obviously this is a little bit of internet research. I wasn't kicking around for that one. <laughs> the internet was around then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it was a 12 mil defeat. Leicester played their local rivals, Nottingham Forest, and they lost 12 nil. Now, the thing that makes it quite an amusing tale is that the FA actually, because it was a 12 nil scoreline, decided to launch an inquiry as to why. Could you imagine that happening now? <laughs> there must have been something back then that if you got into double figures or above, that would be like, tick, 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 that's our interest now. We're going to try and find out what exactly happened. So a little bit of rummaging around and investigation work found that one of the Leicester City players had in fact got married. It was Bob Leggy Turner, anyone who's interested to know. Um, And they were all celebrating his wedding in Leicester. So his ex-colleagues, they decided to go and join in with the celebrations and must have been a little bit worse for wear the next day. Legless. (laughs) Yes, legless. Um, The FA found out that they were playing still quite heavily intoxicated. So that probably explained the reason why they got thumped 12-0. And they just let them off. It's <laughs> yeah. all right, lads. We now understand why. That's exactly what happened. The FA just went, OK, we understand now that a decision has been made and we find that it was an acceptable excuse. <laughs> but well done to Leicester City this year and uh, we wish them well in the Premier League. We're going to take a break now for Twitter Topic of the Week and it's a competition this week which is going to continue running for a few days. So if you want to enter, get across the the Twitter account at Offside Rule Pod. Uh, what we're doing is we're asking for your favourite memories from the FAWSL, which has been running for three years. So your favourite memory from the Women's Super League. Um, there's loads and loads of goals to go through for starters, but you might have other stories to share. Uh, at the moment, Sean's going to run through some of the answers we've been having in, and you can keep those coming. And we'll have ten pairs of tickets to give away to see Liverpool ladies versus Manchester City ladies. So that's the champions versus the new side. On in town and that match is happening next Thursday evening so if you want to win tickets for that game get entering Twitter Topic of the Week Twitter Topic of the Week See, we're raising the stakes for Twitter Topic of the Week this week. Tickets to Liverpool ladies versus Manchester City women up for grabs. Here's just some of the entries that we've had so far. Kelco Severn, she's gone for Steph Hewton's world-class goal in the last minute against Lincoln ladies last year. She says it's a top, top strike. Kirsty Rigby's gone for winning a box for the title decider last season and also being a mascot for the Liverpool versus Doncaster game. Julian Barker's gone for several favourite moments. He's usually involved with getting photographs. Uh, he snapped a top photo of Mark Sampson after Bristol Academy, who were 3-0 down, headed for 4-3 up against the Doncaster Bells. Chris Pugh's gone for Rachel Williams' last-minute lob to give Birmingham City a victory over Bristol Academy. And Dion Farns has gone for watching Tony Duggan score a hat-trick 
for Everton ladies away at Chelsea and knowing that she's going to go on to become an England great. The competition is going to be staying open till Saturday, so keep your entries coming in. Tweet them to at OffsideRulePod and hashtag them with T-T-O-T-W. And I've been Sean Thorne and I'll hand you back to the girls. Thank you very much for that, Sean. And all the winners will be announced on our website, offsiderulepodcast.com. I will be at that match as well, the uh, Liverpool ladies versus Manchester City ladies. Going to be an interesting season in the WSL and we'll have more on that in the forthcoming weeks. Uh, Let's move on to topic three for this one. Uh, We're talking about going to waste in football. There's lots of things that go to waste. I'm sure straight away people listening thinking money, money goes to waste. How much money gets wasted on players here and there? Um, How much money gets wasted on managers' contracts when they get sacked with still a year or or even more in some cases left to pay. Um, But I'm sure there's other things that go to waste in football. So I've put you both on the spot. We'll start with Hayley. You mentioned money going to waste on players, but what about players wasting a lot of their own money? Unfortunately, I think we're coming into a stage now where the players who've hit the big time in the Premier League, who are all about kind of material things and flashing the cash, are going to find themselves in a little bit of trouble. A lot of them haven't invested wisely. Um, you look at players who've gone bankrupt. I think Diddy Hermans has admitted that he had some problems. Joanna Risa bankrupt. Keith Gillespie, Celestine Babayaro, uh, Jemba Jemba, Carl Court, Jason Ewell, Lee Hendry, who's publicly come out to say that he went bankrupt and just said he wasn't uh, well advised. When you look at America, it's unbelievable. You think of NFL players and all these uh, basketball players as well in the NBA. You think, oh, well, maybe we could learn something from them because, of course, they should invest wisely over there. They're the big superstars of the sporting game out there. It's even worse in America. 78%, 78% of NFL players go bankrupt within five years and a high percentage as well, almost up to 60% of NBA players and a very large percentage of the MLB players as well. So, I know I'm using America as an example, and I think, unfortunately, it's really sad that it's happening over here, but just players who are ill-advised, players who think that buying a house and a Rolex and having Bentleys and Lamborghinis and Aston Martins just sitting in the garage being wasted is a sensible thing to do. I think it's a real shame that they, there aren't more kind of people educating these players about the fact that the investment you should be making whilst you're playing football should be on the pitch and should be the wise ones done with an accountant instead of just spending money and living a lavish lifestyle, which you're not going to be able to keep up. You've got players like Liam Ridgewell, remember, using £20 notes as toilet paper and showing the world that's what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Balotelli commissioning a stack of himself as well. You've got um, teams are in trouble. I think it's a real, real shame that these players' money is going to waste. You make your points very well, Hayley. Uh, footballers wasting money. Who'd have thought it? considering how much they get nowadays. See, the older players, they didn't really do that as much, did they? Well, I'm going to pitch in there with a football player who is also wasting things. Certainly is a waste of money. Um, He's binning his boots at the moment, his football boots, after every single defeat for Arsenal, which recently have been a bit more than they were at the start of the season. Uh, Mikel Arteta, it was in um, one of the Sunday newspapers this weekend, saying that it's a superstitious thing he has, but he gets his boots and he bins them. And I was thinking of all the kids that would love those boots. How many players and young boys who can't afford really top-of-the-range football boots would love to get their hands on those? Can't he give them someone rather than put them in the bin? Plus, also, surely the more you wear them, the more comfortable they get and the more they kind of mould to your feet anyway. So surely the longer you wear them, the more comfortable they become. But he must just think, right, if we haven't won or I haven't scored or I haven't had a great game, then they're not good, so I'll, I'll keep going until I find a lucky pair of boots. 
That's why Ronaldo's been wearing the same pair since about 2007. <laughs> and don't even get me started on his pants. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Lucky pants. Um, that's one of mine. Also, um, I was going to say about waste of money. Just as an example, it's really difficult to pick out transfer moves because there are so many where players haven't worked out. That's part, it's look of the draw, isn't it? It's part and parcel of the game. Sometimes you'll bring in a player. I mean, who'd have thought for Pep Guardiola, for instance, he must have thought Zlatan Ibrahimovic and then giving Eto back in return as well would have been a move that paid off but it didn't really for him although I'm a big fan of Zlatan's I don't think that the move to Barcelona particularly paid dividends for him there are so many examples but I am going to use an ex-Wolves player Robbie Keane his move to Liverpool from Spurs for £20 million played 19 games for Liverpool scored just five goals uh, before going back to Spurs again and that's what happened for him it was just a move that didn't work and it, it was one I use that as an example for many many others I didn't want to just pick on Robbie Keane there uh, but one to show that you can have players that are bang in form and then they go to another club and it just doesn't quite work. Um, talking about wastes, I just I had to feel sorry for Alexander Tessie. What a waste of a good goal for it to happen on the oh. same weekend as Wayne Rooney. <laughs> just gutted. What a waste of a good goal indeed. Um, let's talk about agents' fees. Ooh. Accused by many, aren't they, agents, of being a waste of money. In 2012, QPR paid the third highest amount to agents over that particular year. So they were still in the Premier League, of course, only topped by Manchester City and Liverpool. And that was, of course, when Liverpool were at the dawn of the, of the Henrys and, and obviously splashing out big. I think we're in the wrong jobs. I think we all need to get together and form a uh, sporting agency. What about if these women breaking through in the WSL need uh, a bit more looking after and they, they, they fancy they want a bit of uh, female support? We could have Hooper, McQueen and Borsay, <laughs> HMB. Yeah. Just looking at who QPR spent that third highest Premier League spend on. What a waste of money indeed. Even more a waste of money. At least you could argue that perhaps Chelsea have had some value out of their um, signings. But QPR with the likes of... Well, the failures involved there. I mean, Christopher Samba, there would have been a hefty old fee involved in that £12.5 million transfer. The likes of Sean Wright Phillips, Bobby Zamora, Dibriel Cisse, all kinds of flops. And QPR obviously had a massive wage bill and attributed with that and, and in line with that were the agents' fees, an incredible amount of money. What about players going to waste? Players who are the eternal bench warmer, waiting for their chance. And as the clock ticks before they know it, they are past it. But you've got players like Brad Friedel, who for a large spell, just sitting on a bench, far too world-class to be sat there. It's okay if you're a midfielder or you're playing up front or you're a defender because you do shuffle the pack. There is squad rotation. But when you're a goalkeeper, you're already a bit kind of crazy in the head anyway. We all know they're a breed of their own. No wonder you're having to sit on that bench every single week in the hope, which is a bit warped anyway, that the number one is going to get injured for you to be able to get your chance. Um, we'll take another break now because we're going to get an update. It's the turn of Rhiannon Jones to bring us everything La Liga. Hola, chicas. Well, there was no change at the top of the table this weekend here in La Primera as all three title contenders recorded wins. Leaders Atletico Madrid ground out a hard-fought 1-0 victory at home to Villarreal despite missing injured top scorer Diego Costa. While Real Madrid also picked up three points without their star man Cristiano Ronaldo, who was rested for that tricky-looking trip 
to Real Sociedad. Carlo Ancelotti's men didn't appear to miss the Ballon d'Or winner too much, recording a 4-0 win, including a spectacular long-distance strike from Welshman Gareth Bale. Barcelona beat bottom club Betis 3-1 at the Camp Nou, with the side from Sevilla looking almost certain to be the first club relegated this season. Elsewhere in the battle for the final Champions League spot, Sevilla picked up an important 4-1 win over Espanyol to keep the pressure on Athletic Bilbao. While at the bottom, wins for Rive, Cano and Malaga moved them closer to safety. That's all from La Liga this week. See you soon. Adios. Thank you for that, Rhiannon. Well, that's it for episode 33. I'm going to take my sniffles elsewhere and uh, bid you all farewell. Thank you very much, girls. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Yes, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Get entering that competition. The Female Take on Football.